Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. And uh, I'm just excited because today we get to start a brand new sermon series that I've been looking forward to for several months. And uh, as we, uh, we kind of dip our toes in, the servers are going to collect our offerings. So we appreciate your generosity in that. But there's one thing before I, before I go into this. Uh, we got to take time to, to celebrate somebody really special. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were able to just celebrate with Mandy Sparks, who made that big, uh, took that big plunge. And so we want to give it up for Mandy. Would you just celebrate her decision? Well, I'm going to start this series today called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And I've had this planned uh, for, for several months now. And it's always amazing to me how things line up. Uh, when there are things going on in, in our lives and in our world and, and then where, where God is having us go in His Word. But sometimes you just run up against some stuff in God's Word or you run up against some stuff in life that doesn't really make sense. And that's what we're going to be looking at. There are stories in the Bible of people who face tragedy uh, and pain and, and disappointment. And we're going to look at how they found some comfort in the middle of it and how we find God's place and our place in these stories. So today, I've, I've titled this message, When God Seems Inattentive. And I have to admit, I, uh, I sometimes have trouble paying attention. Uh, I don't know if, if some of you guys out there can relate to that or not, but, but I do. And a matter of fact, this morning was a vivid reminder of that. Last night, I was getting ready, kind of just doing my last minute, kind of, okay, am I ready for Sunday? And I... Uh, I was looking in my laptop case. I said, where's my, where's my tablet? My tablet's not in there. And so I'm looking everywhere, and, and Adeline, our daughter, says to me, she says, well, Dad, it's, uh, it's, I know exactly where it is. It's up in your office at church. And I said, oh, it is. Are you sure? She says, oh, yeah. Don't you remember? Because I told you the other day, hey, don't you need to take that tablet home and charge it? And you said, no, it'll be fine. Anyway, so I got here today. I thought, oh, that's fine. I'll uh, just charge it when I get here. And so I came this morning and forgot my charger. So I'm on 6% right now. <laughs> so this might be a really short sermon. No. I have, uh, hey, somebody's excited. I, but I, I, do have, I do have trouble paying attention sometimes. And, and some, of you, some of you men, maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Wives, I, I think you guys think that we're lying when we say this, but we're really not. You know, when you, when you ask, what are you thinking about? And say, nothing. It really is nothing. There's nothing going on in the brain. I can be staring at my wife. I can be looking at her right in the eyes, and she's looking right at me, and she's telling me something. And then she'll stop talking and say, so, what do you think? And I have to say, I'm so sorry. I did not hear a word that you just said. And it's, and, and it's really honest. She tells me all the time that I don't pay attention enough or something like that. I'm not sure exactly, but she's or something. <laughs> Have you ever felt like God was that way with you? Have you ever felt that God was like that, that you were praying about something, uh, trying to get his attention, but just maybe it feels like he was paying attention to something else? It's been a pretty rough week for our community. What happened downtown at 8.30 Monday morning has just seemed to envelop us in darkness. And then I turned the news on this morning. I understand there's another shooting that happened last night, like 15 shootings that happened this week. It's, it's hard to process things like that. On one hand, the tragedy brings an overwhelming sense of sadness. And then on the other hand, your sense of security and safety is just kind of ripped away. 
And in the midst of all of that, sometimes you just can't find that, that nagging feeling of where was God when this happened? Why didn't he do something? Why didn't he intervene in the middle? You know, what, what do you do when you're praying and God doesn't seem to hear your prayer and he just seems silent? Now, there's a guy uh, that many of you may recognize the name uh, Bob Russell. He's been a tremendous pastor in our community for, for a long time. He was the, uh, the minister at Southeast Christian Church for 40 years. Uh, he's been a great friend to us. He's, some of you maybe were here. He preached here a few years ago. He's been a good friend to, to, to so many of us in this church and, and uh, loves the Lord, loves the community. And the other day, he was asked to record a prayer for a local radio station. And I just thought it would be great to, to share that prayer together as we look to God for strength moving forward. And also, as we, as we go into this sermon series asking the, the really tough question of what do we do when it seems like God doesn't make sense? God of all comfort, we need you today in Louisville, Kentucky. In the wake of this dreadful mass shooting, we don't need news analysts or politicians. We don't even need ministers preaching sermons about God's will. We need you. As C.S. Lewis said when his beloved wife died, I don't need someone who looks like Jesus. I need Jesus. Father, you promised if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. Lord, we claim that promise right now. Father, we love our city. We're privileged to live in a wonderful area. There are good people here. Please don't let this horrific event divide us or scar us. Use it to unite us. Pull us together. Thank you for the courage and swift response of our police department. Please heal the wounded. Thank you for the tender heart of our governor and, and the leadership of our new mayor. Ferris, Lord Jesus, help us to be one now, as you are one with the Father, that we may be able to take a stand against the increasing schemes of our adversary. Lord, your word says that we are to bear one another's burdens. Help us to band together as a community and comfort one another. Help us to have a ministry of presence for the grieving. We, Father, we all grieve, but some among us are absolutely crushed, buckling under the shock that their loved ones are not coming home. Would you honor their bent knee? Would you dry their wet eye? Would you heal their broken heart? And Father, we pray for the devastated family of the shooter, this former coach and his wife who are so distraught at what has occurred. May their friends rally to them. We claim your promise for them too. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lift us all right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, frankly, we're frightened to live in this world now. So many burdens, toils, and snares. But honestly, we've turned away from you. We've arrogantly thought we didn't need you. Now we discover we can't restrain evil. We can't dodge the gunfire. We can't escape the violence. And we feel very unsafe and insecure in the face of the demonic behavior that overtakes some. We tremble for our kids going to school and our mates going to work. But help us to cast our anxiety on you, confident that you care for us. 
O rock of ages, may we hide ourselves in you. Father, we remember how Jesus interrupted every funeral he ever attended. He once saw a mother weeping for her deceased son and tenderly said to her, Don't cry, don't cry. Jesus cared. His heart was touched with her grief. Then he did more than bring comfort. He raised the boy from the dead and gave him back to his mother. And the two went home arm in arm rejoicing that day. Remind us there's coming a day when Jesus will do the same for us in our grief. The only variable is time. The dead in Christ will rise because on that first Easter, Jesus became the first fruits of those who sleep in him. He promised, because I live, you can live also. So may we hear the one who conquered death say to us, whisper to us, don't cry. It's going to be right someday. Someday soon, the graves will be opened, and there's going to be a great, great meeting in the air. Comfort us with that promise right now. Until that day, give us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, even though we don't understand everything that's going on. Help us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for our labor is not in vain in the Lord. We pray this in the strong healing, consoling name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. So I, I know there has been so much, uh, so many thoughts and so much darkness that a lot of us have felt and trying to navigate through all of that. And in our own lives, uh, some of us personally, the things that we're, we're going through and the 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 hard knocks that life has thrown at us the last few weeks or the last few months. And so the, the main thought that I wanted to share and kind of to, to encourage and to, to challenge us with today is this, that just because God is silent does not mean that God is absent. Just because you may not hear him does not mean that he doesn't hear you. Just because you don't feel his presence does not mean that he's not with you. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. As I've been preparing this week, there were two stories in the Bible that came to mind when I think about the question of what, what do I do when I, I don't feel like God sees me, when I feel like he's inattentive, may, not paying attention. The first is a woman named Hagar in the Old Testament. And just to give you the 30,000 foot level, cliff note version of her life, she was a servant uh, to a husband and wife named Abraham and Sarah. And they were godly people, and God had made a promise to them that he would make a great nation through them. The problem with that is they were up in years. They weren't able to conceive a child. And in their impatience, Abraham and Sarah told Abraham to go and to sleep with their servant, Hagar, so that she could have a child. Now, that sounds totally weird to us today, but it was not completely uncommon uh, back in their day because if a couple weren't able to conceive, a wife would offer up her servant to keep the family name alive. Genesis 16 tells us that in verse 4 that Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai Sarah with contempt 
And then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Now, I wondered about that because you read that verse and you think, why, why would Hagar treat Sarah with contempt? You've got to remember, she's a victim of sexual assault. She didn't ask to be impregnated by this man. She didn't want any of this, and now she's in this situation that she didn't ask for. There was nothing that she, that she wanted uh, about any of this. And Sarah is the one that set this into motion to begin with. In verse 6, it says, Abraham replied, Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. And then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. I'm thinking about her story. And again, we're, we're hitting the real, the real cliff note version here. There's so much more we could dig into. But Hagar was a slave who had been sexually used and verbally abused, and now she's on the run. She doesn't feel like anybody cares for her. You know, she feels like she, she's got no place in the world, nobody, nobody to love her, nobody to care for her, to see her pain. And I, I have to admit, I've had moments like that. I'm sure you have too, where you just wonder, does anybody see any of this? She's running as fast and as far as she can into the desert of all places, which I think isn't that, isn't that interesting. Of all the places she could run, she runs into the desert, just a dry and barren wasteland. That's what life feels like sometimes. In this place of running, that's where God met her. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness. And the angel said to her, Hagar... Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I thought that was interesting. How many times when we're, when we're waiting on the Lord and we're asking the Lord questions or we're wondering why isn't God responding, why isn't God, you know, it just feels like he's maybe not even paying attention. So often God asks us questions. And those two questions, they just press right into to the heart where have you come from? What's, going, what's, what's the background to all this? You know, I think about how through Scripture, the Holy Spirit is referred to as our counselor. You know, a good counselor knows how to ask good questions. You know, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's led you here. Where have you come from and where are you going? I think that's a question a lot of us we don't ask ourselves, especially when we're in the middle of feeling anxious or we feel that God's not paying attention, or we feel like I don't know what's around the corner. We don't have a plan. We're just kind of, we're just kind of running. We just feel like I'm just existing. I just kind of exist in the world. And so the, these, are, these are great questions. Where have you come from? Where are you going? She just says, I'm running away. I'm just running away from my mistress. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. I want you to go back home. This is really important for you. I want you to go back home and submit to her authority. And, she, and then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, with, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Verse 13 says, therefore, or thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord she had, uh, who had spoken to her, she said, you are the God who sees me. 
And she also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Well, I think we can learn from her story. What can we apply to our lives? I think it's important for us to remember that we, we don't interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances, but we interpret our circumstances through what we know about the goodness of God. We do the opposite of that. So often that's, we're tempted. We, we're going through a difficult season in life, and so we say, well, this doesn't make sense, and if God is good, then he wouldn't allow this to happen to me. So then that must mean that God's not good. But uh, that's flawed for a couple of reasons that I can think of for sure. Number one, God has told us in his word already that there'll be times of trouble. Never, ever, ever were we ever promised that life is going to be, you know, always go up and to the right, and everything's always going to make sense, and everything's always going to work out for you. Yeah, as a matter of fact, Jesus told us just exactly the opposite of that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And the second thing I can think of why that line of thinking is, is flawed is that it completely ignores the fact that God's goodness is on full display as you and I are going through difficulty. It's not until you go through tough times that you find out that God is an ever-present help in times of need. If we didn't have times of need, we'd never get to experience that. It's also in those moments that we're reminded that God is a comforter. We'd never experience Him as a comforter if we, never were, if we were never in need of comfort. Even the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us that, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we also know the Holy Spirit is a great counselor and that Jesus is a savior. We know that God is always good. He, he cannot be anything but good. That's what he is. It's his nature. We don't have to understand everything to continue to trust in God. And you hit one of those times when things aren't making sense. If you serve the Lord long enough, you live long enough, you're going to hit one of those times. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Where was God when this was taking place? Those are questions we'll wrestle with for the rest of our lives. And many of them won't make sense until we get to heaven. And for Hagar, she realized that God saw her. God didn't cause the problem that she was in. God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah. They got impatient, went around, and took matters into their own hands, which caused problems for Hagar. And even in the middle of that difficulty, God promised to use it for good. I'm certain that the Bible says something about that. I will cause all things to work for your good. For those of you who love me, who are called according to my purpose, God chose to bless her anyway, and he does the same for us today. Some of us are victims of circumstances that we, we can't control. You didn't cause it. There's nothing you could do. To, there's nothing that you did to put yourself in the place that you, you're in, and, and yet here you are. What do you do in those moments? Remember that God's good. We don't interpret, our, we don't interpret God's goodness through that circumstance. We interpret our circumstance through the goodness of God and know that he's, go he's good, he's going to be good, and he's going to take care of me. There's one other person I thought about this past week. There's a man in the New Testament who was blind named Bartimaeus. Uh, you can find his story in John chapter 9. It says in verse 1 that as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, isn't that an interesting question? Here's a guy who in his day, this is basically the worst possible scenario you can imagine. He's born blind. 
There's no government assistance. There's no welfare. There's no benefits that he can apply for and, and uh, you know, be taken care of. In, in his day, you work, you eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. And the only other option he would have had available to him was, well, I guess you can sit by the side of the road with your hands out, kind of stoop low, and hopefully as somebody passes by, they'll put something in your hands. That's this guy's life. He's completely at the mercy of, of his situation, of his circumstances. And so the disciples do what I think most of us do. When we're trying to make sense of a tragic situation, there's something in us that this is immediately where we jump to. We ask, who's to blame? Whose fault? Somebody did something wrong and there must be an explanation. Did this guy do something wrong or did his parents do something wrong? What's the, what's the root of that question? Why is it that we do that? Well, they assumed that God must be punishing this guy. Who sinned? Because obviously God is angry with him, right? That's why he was born blind, right? So who, who did the wrong thing that caused the wrath of God to be poured out on his life for something bad to happen to him like this? It must be a punishment. We think the same thing. This is part of our theology that has got to be reworked. Many of us, this is, this is what our relationship to Jesus is like. We, we think that it's all, uh, you know, cause and effect. Everything is cause and effect. And so, so I'm going through something tough. Well, then either God's not good or he's punishing me. Which leads to a lot of bitterness and a lot of anger. Because I, I know people, I, I speak to people on occasion that will be going through a tough season in life. And they're trying to make sense of it. They say, I don't know why God is so angry at me. What did I do? I don't know what I did to make God punish me like this starting at the wrong place you're starting at, the, at the, the wrong place when we run up against trouble we assume that either god is being inattentive does he even see this or the other alternative is that god must be angry and that's it those are the only two that we can come up with it stirs up a lot of problems for us if we want to have a healthy relationship with the lord that that's who he is he either doesn't see me or he's mad is that, is that what this is like? Is that what it looks like to follow Jesus? I think there's a lot of angry people walking around that are angry at God because they assume that he's angry with them. Couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus gives an entirely different explanation. Verse 3, he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He says, Do you think this is what caused this, guys? You're, you're way off. He says, This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him so let's apply this to to your life today could it be possible that the problem that you're facing isn't a setback at all but it's a setup for god to do something amazing in your life and i know that it feels really really bad but could it be that you are just about to turn the corner and watch as God does for you what you are unable to do for yourself. Well, that's what happened for this guy. Jesus heals him. 
And he gives him his sight. And then all these religious people and Pharisees who hated Jesus, they start interrogating this, this guy, who the formerly blind guy. He's saying, they're asking, what did Jesus do to you? How did this happen? We want an explanation. And, and he just has the best response in verse 24. He says, the second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. They said, well, give glory to God by telling us the truth. They assume that he's lying. So we know this man, Jesus, we know he's a sinner. We know that there's nothing that he did to heal you. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. He didn't have a whole lot of information. At this moment in time, he doesn't have any answers. His understanding of what had taken place in his life and who Jesus is at that moment is very limited. He says, all I know is I was born blind and now I met this man named Jesus, and he healed me. I was blind, and now I see. And here's what's so important for us, is you don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. To know that he has a purpose for you. Now, it may not always end in rainbows and sunshine. Some of us are called to go through very difficult moments in life, and it's going to hurt, and there's going to be problems and pain. Some of you are going to go through some really difficult stuff today. For one person, it's that you're losing your job, and that wasn't on the radar, and now you're thinking, I don't even have a resume. I haven't put a resume together in 10 years, and it doesn't make sense. For someone else, it's health-related stuff. It feels like your body is betraying you. Everything's two steps forward and one or two steps back, and you say, God, can you just... Throw me a bone here. Or you just had to spend money fixing something at home. Maybe, you know, maybe the furnace just went out. You finally get that fixed. You have to drop all that money, get that done. Next thing you know, on your way to work, the car blows up. Or you're trying to make wise decisions for the direction of your life, but you've got crippling anxiety that feels like it just sabotages you. Why am I going through this? Why is this a struggle for me? What do we do? What's the plan? How are we going to navigate this? See, I'm kind of a control freak when it comes to that stuff. I need to know a plan. I'm good as long as there's a plan. So I always say, God, if God will send me a fax or an email or smoke signal or just tell me where we're going, then I'm good. I'll go through, I'll walk through the fire. But I need to know what's on the other side. And God has repeatedly spoken to my heart and said, Brandon, you don't get the plan, buddy. You get me. I'm going to be with you. I will walk with you. I will be there. But you're learning as you're going through this. See, that's the part that we forget. We go through difficult times and those moments when we lean into our faith, when we lean on the Lord and and stay close to him, he grows us. He's maturing us. And we're going to learn lessons through that that we couldn't learn any other way. And this is the hardest part, I think, about trusting God's purpose. When when it really gets down to, to... to brass tacks of trusting the purpose of God. Sometimes God's purpose is not for you. But perhaps you're walking through something so that you can be a testimony for someone else. Because there's someone else that God is reaching. There's someone else that he loves and cares about that is far from him. But because of your story, because of your confidence, because of your faith in Christ, it's going to encourage their hearts. They're going to see that Jesus is a loving Savior and one who is closer than a brother. Are things going to always work out exactly the way we want them to? Probably not. 
I hope that they do. I hope in your life things always work the way that you want them to, that you've got a plan and you've got a healthy 401k and, you know, you take care of your body and you're out running marathons and, you know, you, you, you try to do all the good things. I hope that everything works out. But the one thing that I've learned after watching a lot of my dear friends that do all the right things and still go through trouble is that nothing in life is guaranteed. And Jesus told us, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Because the focus isn't on this life. It's, it's a mist. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. Where does our focus lie? Where is our hearts? What is our heart leaning toward? Just because there might be some pain involved doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan that he's unfolding in your life for his glory and for your ultimate good. His ways are higher. He is wiser. All of my life, this is the thing I'm continually learning. And I'm continually failing in this area. Is to remember that my life is not the center. You know, there's a little selfish part in all of us. I think that we, we kind of think, you know, well, you know, I, I've been told my whole life that, you know, shoot for the stars. And the customer is always right. And if you'll do good things, good things will happen to you. And, you know, right, all those, all those good little mottos that we had hanging up in our classroom, you know, when you're in, like, fourth grade. And, you know, shoot for the stars, even if, or shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. I remember that being, like, fifth grade and looking at that and, like, I don't really know what that means, but I think it means that I'm important. And what I'm learning over time is that my life is such a small, small little blip on the radar and yet God loves me he knows my name he is the God who sees me as Hagar said have I seen the one who sees me that he's mindful of us it's amazing we put all of our effort and all of our focus and all of our emotional energy into this brief 70 or 80 years when there's something coming there's a life to come, eternity. What is that going to look like? Because the relationship that we form with the Lord here in this 70 or 80 years has a major impact on the relationship that we're going to enjoy when we get there. Just because God is silent, it doesn't mean that God is absent. I'm not the main actor in his play. I'm here to serve the Lord and to glorify him. And this is the thing that I, I remember, I have to remind myself, just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. Here we are, 2,000 years removed from the fact, we just celebrated Easter, and everything that our faith hangs on, I mean, and I mean everything, the whole reason that we're here and the whole reason that we trust in him is because there was a moment when God seemed inattentive. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he went to the garden and through an enormous amount of stress to the point that he said he sweated blood, which is a medical condition if you're unbelievably stressed. He prayed and say, and he said, Lord, if, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to I don't have to go through this, but not my will, yours be done. And there was no other way. And so Jesus went to the cross. And after all the flogging and all the beating and all the being spit upon and punched and smacked around and stripped naked and humiliated and everything that he'd gone through, 
Then it says that God laid all of our iniquity on him. That Jesus, who knew absolutely no sin, had never sinned. Now every sinful thought that I've ever had, every sinful action I've ever taken, everything that you've, all the, all the things that, make, that separate us from God, that was all heaped onto him in that moment. And it says in the scripture that God turned away from him. And Jesus spoke out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think about that, that moment, our faith, everything that we believe hangs on that exact moment. I can be forgiven of sin, I can be freed, I can, be, I can know what, what it is to be connected to Christ and, and walk with God and, and live, live eternal in heaven. All, that, all of those promises that I have are true because of that moment when it says, when Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was in that moment when he took on all of my sin and all of your sin, God turned his back on his son... And Jesus died so that God would never turn his back on you. And that's the truth. In the moments when we feel like God is inattentive, in the moments when we feel like God is not watching, or we feel like maybe he's interested in something else, we need to remember that God only turned his back one time. And it was to his son. So that he would never turn his back on you or me. Just because God is silent does not mean that he's absent. Just because you don't feel like you hear from God does not mean that he doesn't hear from you. Sometimes as we walk through this valley in life, it feels lonely. It feels dark. But just remember that the light of the world is with us. And he goes where we go. Let's keep in step with him. Let me pray for us. Father, today we, uh, we, we want to continue to wrestle with that with that thought and the question of what do we do when, you're, when you don't make sense and we don't understand your ways. And I, I reminded that, God, I, I just know that that's going to be a reality for us over and over again. There are going to be moments that we don't understand you because we can't possibly fathom your, th- your thoughts. So remind us who we are. And just like you did for for Job, in the Old Testament, I mean, you, you kind of put him in his place. He said, where were you, Job? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And Lord, we, we have no right to come before you with anything but gratitude. But sometimes our flesh, it just we just have questions that just eat at us. And so would you give us the peace and the contentment that we need to be able to trust you no matter what. We're walking in moments that feel heavy. and Certainly right now in our community, we're walking in things. We just see evil everywhere. And it just, Lord, if I'm honest, sometimes it just feels like we're on the losing team. And I'm reminded of your word that says that in the end, Jesus will crush the head of the serpent. And we look forward for that day, Lord. We look forward to the day that you finally, once and for all, that you have thrown evil into the lake of fire and it is no more. But until that moment, as we continue to live in this world that is broken, help us to cling to you. May you continue to give us your righteousness and your strength that we might be a light of hope 
for those that are walking in darkness, that they might see a great light. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, and his sacrifice. I pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.